1: Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. In 2018, we sat down with LGBTQ historian Tim Retzloff to talk about his research on Michigan's LGBTQ history. Dr. Retzloff teaches LGBTQ studies and U.S. history at Michigan State University. The Tim Retzloff oral history interviews from 1993 to 2012 consist of over 80 oral histories conducted by Retzloff with members of Detroit's LGBTQ community. His work chronicling the lives of LGBTQ plus community continues with the addition of his website, Michigan LGBTQ Remembers. This site was launched in March of 2017. It is dedicated to documenting the diverse lives of LGBTQ Michiganders and their allies who are no longer with us. The individuals on the website, were leaders, activists and volunteers. Some were bar owners or employees, customers or entertainers. Some were elders and some were still in their youth. All were ordinary people who were members of LGBT community who went about their everyday lives. The website posts their obituaries and has even written obituaries for some members of the community in his blog Queer Remembering, Dr. Retzloff offers advice for members of the community looking for an archival home for their records and other thoughts on comings and goings in the LGBTQ community. Tim, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today?
2: I'm I'm doing as well as can be given, given the mm. world as it is. Um, but, um, you know, I, early on in the, um, in the pandemic, I read something about, um, for, for at least early on people could go 20 days from mm. being, being exposed to passing away. If they contracted it and got the most serious um, version of the, of the disease. And, and that just kind of, um, you know, we, we went into lockdown on March 13th and it was like, okay, I'm, I'm in my, I'm in my, I'm 56. So I'm, you know, I'm no, no spring chicken anymore. So it was kind of like, okay, I got maybe 20 years, you know, knock Uh on wood of being good and productive and, you know, or, you know, heaven forbid, twenty days,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and so you know, I just kind of. At some point, I realized, but I'm not. You know, I don't think I'd spend my day much differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I still I try to be purposeful every day. I try to, you know, enjoy myself. I try to have loving moments with um with my husband. I I try to. Improve myself. I guess that, um, mm-hmm. and 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 it just kind of you know served as um, a, a, it it helped center me in terms of uh, you know the kind of work that I I I do and have been doing and uh, and I don't you know I I don't think I'd change it and 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 maybe in some ways because I don't have other distractions. Um, I'm, I, I've been, I've been getting some stuff done and, and, mm-hmm. and doing what I can. And, and, and so I think I'm doing okay. You know, things can be rough and, and, uh, you know, there are losses in life and, and you kind of cope with those as they come along. Um, but I'm all, all kind of, just kind of, it, it, it's helpful to know that I'm, i I'm more resilient than I thought I was, you know, Uh in my youth. So, Uh
4: You know, I thought about you, and you know, the work that you do, and and I've talked to a few people who are like capturing, you know, uh, our stories. And I thought about, you know, when we reached out to talk to each other again, and I was thinking about you because I had talked to Victor Salvo, who does the legacy project out of Chicago. And Mm -hmm. he was saying that part of what made him, like, recognize that we needed to capture these stories was seeing the AIDS quilt. And he recognized that each quilt told a story of someone. And I was thinking about you and these times that we're in and, you know, that we're so isolated. And, you know, sometimes all of a sudden you'll look up, unfortunately, on your Facebook feed and you see, oh, so-and-so has passed uh, and we 're not collecting those stories. How has this influenced how you think about your work?
2: well i mean I, it it has highlighted um how fleeting some of the moments of being able to capture the stories are um, and you know we may we may get into this um a little bit more as we talk about the website but um you know there's a lot of people who never get obituaries mm. and and you know i i was i was an early writer with between the lines i worked with um the found the early founders and then when Jen and susan took over i was assistant editor for a couple of years and and even after i um i formally Left the paper in that way. I've continued to write, um, and 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 it's often been history pieces. But but one of the other things I've always continued to write were obituaries, um, because you know I I just feel that that's a moment to capture and remember people that that a lot of people never you know might never have heard of, and particularly with you know, our community, and by our community I mean both the LGBTQ community, but also kind of Metro Detroit and Michigan, uh-huh. you know, there's not always um, um, like institutional history or formal ways of, of passing down stories. Um, so, you know, so that was a piece of this is kind of my own history with, with um, writing obituaries. And I don't know, did you um, ever see the documentary? There's the documentary called obits, which is about the New York Times obituary writers, you know,
4: what I think I did. I mean, it's been a while, but I think I did.
2: Well, it's just, it was just a fascinating lens into, you know, the most professional of the obituary writers, but also just kind of a glimpse of behind the New York Times that they have the morgue that they do that goes back, you know, to 1857. And and for people who don't know, um, a morgue and newspaper jargon are basically clipping files of past articles that are arranged by subject. and And these are things that may have been, published in the times itself but they were also clipping articles from other newspapers in new york and other publications and and for individuals they would just compile these into folders um, and of course as a history geek you know that was just like um a gold mine of of information and you know the ultimate archive that you know a certain privileged few have access to
4: well,
2: so you know, and, so and, go ahead well no i so so the, the I, I would urge people to to watch um that documentary because I think it really conveys you know some of the importance and um oh i'm I'm blanking on her her name there's a, an amazing obituary writer for The Times who said, you know it really people think of obituaries as being about. The person's death, but really, you know, there's kind of like a sentence or two about their death, and most of the obituary is about the person's life.
4: Well, you know, I think that I had an aunt who, when she passed, like she was in her 90s, and, you know, I found this box where she had all of these obituaries. And, you know, mm. as far as learning family history, I mean, it was just like finding a treasure chest. But then that <laughs> goes, takes me back to your work, because often it doesn't tell our stories. I had, I mean, I was just curious about a woman I had worked with who I knew I was gay, who I knew I was gay, and I knew she was gay, and she had passed, and, and in reading it, and although they told lots of things about her life, at one other time they said, well, um, how she was survived by her friend. And I knew that wasn't <laughs> her friend. I mean, so, I mean, even though these things, these, these records, Tell your life for our community. Often that part has been hidden. I mean, and when you think about trans people who often say that they're misgendered and they are theirs. So, as you're looking at these obituaries and you're doing it and the work that you did with between the lines, I mean, who's going to do that? I mean, I mean, we've come a long way, but there's still depending on who who writes that that part of our lives might get left out in our history
2: and 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 absolutely has the further back you go um and so you know that that has that's part of the challenge of of my work um and i've always kind of you know i haven't had any pushback yet? For the website? Mm -hmm. Because I'm, you know, um, because because most everybody on the site, in some fashion, was out in their life, but or or through the, the circumstances of their death or in their obituary, there's it was revealed. But not all of them. And, and and we can talk about that. I mean, we. I mean, I know there's different ethical views about about this. Um, you know, there's celebrities who die, and then it's revealed, and people are outraged uh-huh. that, that that the disclosure was made. Um, but but I one, I'm a historian, and my my you know, I strongly value the truth, and I think it's important for us to know the truth about the past. And the truth about the past is that we have been part of the world. And uh-huh. and to fully understand that, you know, and that's, that's why, I, you know, as much as I can, and I, I, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm insensitive. I, I'm not. I, I, I weigh, you know, including people who may not have been out per se in their lives, um, and the, I weigh them differently, you know, it's all it depends um but I think it's it's really important to to even know that and I I also need think it's important to understand and see those complications so you know and and part of it is okay did they just die or have they been deceased for 30 years you know maybe it's time or maybe enough time has passed and and you know there's there's a lot of different factors you know if they were if they had been married and living double lives you know, I I want to be a bit more sensitive. I, I don't want to be the one to out them. But there's other ways in which they might have been already been outed. So I'm just kind of conveying information that's already out there.
4: Yeah, I know I was talking to someone once and they said like, if someone had died in somewhere like maybe if in the will, they mentioned something about, you know, their partner or something, then they felt that that was like, okay, but um, mm-hmm. what, what clues do you look for as to like, all right, it's like, well, kind of sort of everyone knew and I'm not really breaking any, any mold. And, so, I mean, and I, is it different from when you're doing like celebrities or just someone who's in the community?
2: Well, I mean... Celebrities are generally become known, you know, recently with, with, with COVID-19, I, you know, since that, since March, um, every week, I've been purposely including someone with AIDS, every week with my three postings. And so, Uh um, and, and I'd always kind of, you know, there are other avenues for remembering people with AIDS. And I don't, it, it's certainly important to remember, but that's a, just a piece of our history. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought it was important to showcase that, you know, it, in this moment. And so I'm, I'm combing through a lot more um, AIDS obituaries and finding, you know, other indications of people dying. And, and so there's, um, there's a you know, a person who was... Um, A prominent animal expert who went to who was a veterinarian who and I think Good Morning America who went to Michigan State and uh, and so that's an instance where it was very clear that they were out Um, but there's other cases you know so AIDS was a circumstance so the circumstance of their death and oftentimes because of AIDS there was so much shame But the further back, I mean, words like partner certainly is a clue or companion. Um, Mm. And now that, you know, for instance, the free press is now um, available in digital format, so you can search um, past issues of the free press, including obituaries. Um, They they will mention sometimes partner or friend or – so you kind of – Piece that together. Um, there was an instance of two teachers at um, the Leggett School. So the head the master of the Leggett School up through ni- the early 1960s, um, and then one of the English teachers, a female English teacher, um, spent their lives together. And they moved from from apartment in Indian village to Gross point, you know, this is clearly a very different era. Um, but they, you know, what, what struck me is that, you know, even though they were were domestic companions, and clearly committed to each other, neither of the, their obituaries even mentioned the other. wow so it's it's almost like the omission was so purposeful, and and you know the, the stigma supposedly is so high, particularly. For earlier generations that they did everything they could to erase the reality, so to me that 's almost a spotlight if they're they're going so far out of their way to mm-hmm. um, to not talk about but even there, I want to be careful because we you know we don't know for sure, but i I present those as part of my website because I think that's part of the history and, and even the complicatedness of well, maybe we'll never know for sure. But this was still out of the ordinary for its time, mm-hmm. um, and you know I've 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 come across you know an obituary for one person who passes away, and then you know a, a few years later someone else passes away. This, their their partner, one of the obituaries will specifically say their partner, and another won't. So you know this is this is partly because you know and this is this is where you know I the sources the you know relying on obituaries as an entry point has its problems. One of them is who wrote it, family. That has a different agenda or a different sense of protectiveness, um, a different sense of scandal. Um, maybe, other times the family might be completely embracing. And and um, and I'm I'm actually, you know, I think in the last year or two I've been more surprised at how many longtime couples. Are, are coming out um, as one passes away um, after they've been together um, thirty and forty years. Um, so I mean, we can. I can follow any of these strands. You know, you know, Michelle. So I can talk on this. So I, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. But but I, I I hope that answers your question about um, finding people. I mean, I I have other avenues. I mean, certainly because of all of my research. You know, I I've got you know, people who were involved in different organizations. Um, back to the 1950s, um, I went through the records of one magazine, which was the earliest um, magazine for homosexuals in the U.S. Um, it started in 1953, and and they, their records are amazing, and they have correspondence and subscriptions from around the country. And so I have... You know, a pool of of people who subscribed or wrote to one um, from Michigan that I draw from, mm-hmm. um, and some of the stories there. You know, the magazine started in in January of 1953, and by August, there's someone from Metro Detroit who is sending them taping 40 cents onto a piece of paper and in one is a subscription. Wow. And he's from Wyandotte. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, know, so that uh-huh. then I have a name and then I can do a little investigation about who he was. He never married. Um, he ended up, you know, at different points he lived in um, Melvindale and and, um, other parts of Downriver. And then later in life, from city directories and other information, he went back and he he took care of his aging parents. And and you and I know that as a story of of LGBT life, oftentimes it's the gay or lesbian kid who steps up and takes on that, that role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and, and to me that, you know, that, that's a little piece of a story that, that, you know, just kind of tells so much more, Um, you know, there's a person in the 1950s. I don't know how he found out about the magazine. I don't know much about his, the rest of his life. He never seemingly had a companion, um, I don't know if he was involved in bar life. Um, I just know he never married. I know he served in World War Two. Um, I know he was, you know, of Polish heritage. That's kind of, you know, and maybe a few other strands. But, but even that is a person that I think we should know about.
4: You know, you often hear people who want to push back against us wanting rights. And they go like, well, I never knew anybody who was gay. Or, <laughs> or you know, you know I, there, there weren't gay people in my community. And here you have these things that, you know, you, you've done a lot of work. You've written about it. You've you contributed things. Have you ever had someone who has come back and said, you know, I knew them. I just didn't know. And it has where knowing that there is some there has been someone in their community, someone like you said, who might have been a teacher, someone who really influenced them. Have you ever had someone come back and say, you know, wow, I didn't know. Now I understand more about this person, and how it impacted their life.
2: You know, not so directly um, as that, but, but it is a motivator for different things that I do with Michigan LGBTQ remember one of which is, you know, because, you know, because of new technologies and the way that that people process information, I I attach different tags to each person as they go into the gallery. Um, And one of the tags is always uh, one of the, types of tags is always geographical. So whether, mm-hmm. you know, this, this particular person, so I would have certainly put Wyandotte and Melvindale and other places he lived, um, Ann Arbor or, you know, Detroit or Saugatuck or Flint or, you know, and and to me that is a piece of addressing, because Jeffrey Montgomery would, would tell this story about, you know, trying to lobby members of the legislature who would then say well but nobody in my district is gay so mm-hmm. well this is this is kind of my little nudge is like well actually you know we need we need to tell these stories because that's not true and we need to have ways in which people will understand that that's not true um so you know in 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 fact you know every october i I try to do I, I instead of three people I add four people and uh and I do it thematically and one of the themes this year that I'm working on is are four people from the upper peninsula because people don't kind of think of there being queer folk up in the UP, which, you know, of course is crazy talk. So of course four people I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so so, but i you know I have you know the the one of the pushbacks I did get was um you know i I posted about someone who um was somewhat prominent, and I also posted that that the person had been arrested and 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 was among you know hundreds of men in Detroit in the nineteen fifties who were arrested this was just. A threat they lived under, um, and so that was to me an important part of this person's story, and and someone, someone from the family, I think a niece was like, you know, really upset that I'd done that, um, and I do you know, that's something that I weigh, and and a historian, and 50 years has gone by, and. Um, and he and 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 he this guy wasn't just arrested once he was arrested a number of times, so it wasn't just um it wasn't i mean and, and, and i and I didn't think it was a a smirch on him, I thought mm-hmm. it was an indictment of the police but
3: mm-hmm.
2: but this person in the family thought it was you know um detracting from the reputation and that's where you know, there's the biological family, and then there's the non biological, cultural Mm -hmm. community family that we all know, and which family gets to tell the story.
4: Yeah, and I mean, especially like to me, I mean, knowing that they have been arrested so many times, first of all, it shows the strength of the character, but also what we've gone through as a community. And to me, you know, anything, it'd be like, you know, raising awareness, building an ally even, not like, oh, don't talk about it. You know, sometimes in order to to get change, you have to recognize what people have gone through. And, right. wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and,
2: Michelle, you know, there's the, there's the saying that. There's the, oh, people were arrested. People were put in mental institutions. People lost their children. They went through these travails um, and or they stood up. And resisted that and to just say that in generality has has one level impression and people process that but when you put a name to it when you when you help them realize that these things happen to real people and this is one of the real individuals that this impacted and this person's career was probably hindered because we had this you know, police apparatus in place to, you know, restrict people's lives. I mean, that's, then to me, that's, that's why, you know, as, as much as I can, I think it's important to, like, name names. And I, and I, 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 I want to explore this a little bit more because I also understand and appreciate that this is complicated. And I know that there's, you know, Concern and pain in, term, in terms of trans individuals and their their birth name and and or their dead name and not wanting those revealed and that was certainly the case with Ab Stevens that, that just passed this year um, mm-hmm. and um, and then of course you know people use pseudonyms so often in early activism um, not just in Detroit but but um across the country but if you you know once you can kind of attach a real person and a real identity and, and a richer history um i think that just helps us understand the past in in deeper in deeper ways mm-hmm. uh-huh.
4: Well, Tim, we're going to take our first break here, and we will be right back and continue our conversation.
0: This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and holistic healing services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com.
4: And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown and I am talking with a historian, Tim Retzloff. He's um you know, as we were you were talking about, you know, what would happen. And I think that what I what went through my mind is like often people say they don't understand systemic racism. But not only has there been systemic racism, there've been systemic homophobia. And we can't get over any either of them without recognizing how long it's been going on and i went back to thinking about how you're saying like denise was going like not getting that you know her uncle been arrested so many times this is systemic homophobia it had been covered it had been hidden and as we talk about social justice issues that way that we need to recognize these things have been going on and also the visibility that you know that we're everywhere
2: I, you, I yeah, I I couldn't agree with that more. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: you know, and, and and I know that is what did that cross. You know, you've done this work. Was you were doing it, and first you were collecting stories, but has your work been used to help the cause? making helping people be aware of a systemic homophobia, how it's been hidden, how people have suffered under homophobia, and also to help people recognize that a lot of it is still going on?
2: Um I think the the best way to answer that is, you know, my my dissertation advisor, um George Chauncey um, was involved in writing uh, uh, an amicus brief for the Supreme Court case, um, the the Michigan aspect, the DeBoer um, uh-huh. aspect of the case, um, DeBoer versus Snyder, that was folded into a, a Bergefell. and he contacted me um, because he wanted to include some specific instances of when when michigan people in michigan were um faced you know discrimination or oppression or or harassment or you know the state coming down on them um and so i was able to contribute um very specific details such as um some bars in detroit that um that had been used that had been um fined and cited for for serving homosexuals and being a rendezvous for homosexuals. And there were other cases that I was able to highlight. I think there were some child custody cases um, that I was able to highlight. I can't remember. He might even have, have um, used the Jerry Crane case as one of his examples. I, I sent him, you know, a. a A couple pages of of possibilities and he picked what he thought were the most compelling to include in that um, which was a a broader narrative of of, you know oppression nationally but he wanted to since it was a Michigan case he wanted to make sure that some Michigan cases were included and and so you know as as I'm curating this website one of the things I am conscious of are kind of making sure that those stories are documented.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: so the case, ways in which um, people faced depression and resisted oppression, um, but then the ways in which people also, you know, had, had tragedies involved in it, you know. So one of the, you know, one of the hardest things to kind of continue... To include and you know I because I don't want it I I, I don't want it to overwhelm the site but there's so many instances of people who lost their lives in instances of anti-gay and anti-trans violence and there's so many people who took their own lives Mm -hmm. Um, and I do I think it's crucial to tell those stories um, but I also want to tell the stories of you know the the people who live into their 80s and 90s and and you know li- live kind of rich queer lives that remain you know largely hidden maybe not entirely hidden maybe less hidden than we thought um as i was thinking about you know talking about this, I was, you know, I've I've had it in my mind, you know, well, these people lived quiet lives. And it's like, well, maybe they lived quieter lives, Mm. but but not as quiet as we want to stereotype it. And maybe we just weren't looking. So that's Mm. the other piece of it is, is, you know, we're conditioned. I mean, we're all raised in the same culture of, you know, heteronormativity, you know, to throw out, that term, um, and compulsive, you know, heterosexuality, um, and, and even cisgender kind of mindset that, that we don't always notice or appreciate um, what's right in front of our faces. <laughs> so, uh-huh. you know, I, I, one of the things I'm, I'm conscious of, and I, I really strive uh, since the beginning to, to be as representative as I can and to reflect the diversity of our community as best I can. Um, and that includes gender, that includes race and ethnicity, it includes class and and kind of activism and bar life and social life and, and that, but it's also geography. Um, and each of those Have their hindrances to try to find people to reflect that Um, so I'm just I'm I'm aware of how history is is often skewed um, and and twisted and I try to counter that Um, and of course there's the big skewing which is you know we don't exist we were never there we're not even here now Um, so Mm -hmm. you know yeah, no, I know. Uh-huh. No, I, 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 it, I, it trails off, but, but but I think, you know, that kind of gets the gist of, of what I wanted to say there.
4: Well, I know that, that when you were starting your oral history interviews, and I know when last we talked, you were talking about how you were you were starting to, well, you had already started, but you were starting to to track the stories of people in the black community Um, How has that gone as far as reaching into the black community, the Latino community, even the Arab American or the Asian Pacific Island community? How has that gone? Because we know that they're also here in Michigan.
2: Absolutely, and um, that's one of the challenges, and that continues to be one of the challenges. I did, you know, for the longest time, I wasn't sure – whether and how to tag um, individuals who would fall under um, what what recently people have started calling um, brown indigenous and people of color that's kind of uh-huh. become a new a new fr- framework and and so um, and when that started to become used I thought well that captures kind of people in ways that, that African American might miss people and ways in which black does people don't you know terminology changes, there are people who don't feel that it applies to them. And there's kind of the tension of, you know, how people identify versus how they are identified by others. You know, so um but I went through, you know, the website and and retrospectively put the tag, and at that point, I, I found about eleven percent of people that I had posted um, fit that category, which you know I know demographically the the African American population of Michigan is like fourteen percent, so it's not hitting you know that mark, but it's it's I don't I I hope I I hope I'm not erasing people. I'm not purposely mm-hmm. erasing people. And, you know, I've I've Between the lines has has been admirable in having obituaries of people who might not otherwise have obituaries. And um, the, the the other thing I found is, you know, these communities have different ways of remembering people. And um, and I I early on started you know because there was a um, I'll, I'll use an example there's a, an early activist in Detroit named Ken Dudley, who um, was was one of the first 50 that I added you know that when I launched the site he was the initial initial first 50 he was a, an early in, in founder involved in the gay liberation front in Detroit he was one of the speakers at the first Um, pride rally um, Christopher Street Detroit 72 he was the only person of color to speak Um, and he did some writing for fag Greg he helped found one of the earliest formal black gay organizations in Detroit and he died of AIDS in 1991 so there's kind of I have only secondhand stories about him a few Things in his own words, like the speech that he gave survives, um, but no obituary. Mm -hmm. I did find his, I did get his death certificate, and his death certificate, you know, indicated that he passed away from HIV and AIDS. So, you know, so he's on the site early on, and I indicate no known obituary. Mm -hmm. So, and... And I have a tag for that now, and if you were to go through that, I think probably many, if not the majority of those instances will be people of color who never had obituaries mm-hmm. and kind of to follow up on that, um have you ever heard of Sylvia Robinson? Yeah, okay, what do you know i mean I'm just curious what you what you know about Sylvia Robinson?
4: Probably not enough. I mean, I know of the name, but I don't know all about her. Okay. I have not read about her, and, which is and, probably and, true for many people.
2: <laughs> right. Well, this. I mean, to me, this is this is some of the 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 tragedies of of you know not certain people being you know not included in the history because of various circumstances she was liaison to the gay community mm-hmm. for the Detroit Human Rights Department in the 1970s and she and Renee McCoy in 1979 founded the Detroit coalition of black gays which became the actually Detroit I think coalition.
4: it's Renee McCoy that I knew of her yeah mm mm-hmm.
2: okay so um and she she died and I I did not know until this summer when she died you know there were no there was no obituary and and this was an instance where you know I I have to be very selective when I even ask for death certificates um, because they charge you money and Uh more money than they should And in her instance, I only had kind of a a span of years. I knew she died between, you know, like 99 or 2000 and 2004, because she's in in Living with Pride. Um, She's in Mm -hmm. the background at Full Truth um, as Mm -hmm. someone living in Pride. And so I knew she was still alive when that film was being made. And then you know I found reference to her passing away or having passed, um, but I didn't have like the specific date. And and so I you know they, for extra money you can <laughs> you can have them search extra years. And so I did that um, because I you know she was such a key person, and like Ken Dudley, um, most people don't know just how important she was. To our community. I mean, she was on one. She was an early board member for the Michigan Organization for Human Rights, which evolved and be, be, became, um, in some fashion, part of Triangle and Equality Michigan today. Um, and she's just kind of a really important person that that should be remembered and isn't. Um, so. I I'm just I'm aware that sometimes finding these stories takes the extra step. So I have like I have a whole file collection of of, you know, white gay guys
3: mm-hmm.
2: that that I can, you know, I can just throw up whenever I want to. I mean <laughs> I could I mean mm-hmm. I could, you know, I've got I've got close to seven hundred people up right now. If I you know, if I threw up all the white gay guys I have now, um, I could double that easily. Like, but but that's not the story that I want to tell or that I feel needs to be told. Um, mm-hmm. So, and and it's true for for women and for lesbians too that there's they're not always remember you know between the lines as admirable as they have been in publishing obituaries of people of color their their obituaries skew male like and 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 uh, that that just seems strange to me but maybe not maybe that's a reflection of one the divisions of the community mm-hmm. and to the ways in which you know women are involved and active and part of the community in the ways in which maybe they are, they have other ways of remembering each other.
4: Well, you which, know, that brings up which, a point when you talk, when you talk about ahead, the vision ahead. of uh, of a community, because like we are a big diverse community and in that diversity, like I had talked to this one guy, Sid Balu. Okay, and like he's looking at the whole ballroom scene, and he talked about the people who we've lost in the whole ballroom scene, and that mm-hmm. and there many of them are black and brown, and then you mm-hmm. have like you talked about, there are lesbians who again come from different ways and and they're keeping track of of theirs is there have you ever been approached or? do you feel there's a way to collaborate with these different parts of our community to have one, you know, I mean, yeah, you can have a separate one on Barrow, but to have one place where it would be like the the jump-off point of of people who died in Michigan, so that if you found so-and-so on your website, then that might help you dig deeper to find out what were the other things that they're alive. So is there opportunities for collaboration? Or is that just are we all still staying in our own silos saying, Well, I'm going to talk about my community, I'm going to talk about my community, and not recognizing that there is that overarching LGBTQ community.
2: You know, I mean, I, I, in terms of, you know, I, I, done extensive outreach. Um, The site itself at this point is not 50-50, but it might be like Mm -hmm. 40-60 of representing um, women versus men. Um, It may be closer. I mean, I've been really kind of adamant about not wanting it to be male
3: mm-hmm.
2: um and there have been ways i mean so i've i you know i i i use the lesbian connection which has a passings um feature that they've been doing since 2011 and they they include obituaries from around the country but of course then they will mm-hmm. have obituaries of women from michigan or with michigan connections so that has been one kind of constant pool the other has been, you know, outreach and collaboration, and and I, I'm always on the lookout in numerous mm-hmm. ways. And actually, this is this brings up, you know. So I, I I talked about how you know certain records are skewed. So there's there's I mean I'm I, I'm confronted with okay, the sources that I have so far have not shown women enough that i feel are representative of the community so how do i find those stories and how do i find and so that has forced me to try other methods you know so i i discovered you know old lesbians um organizing for change and and their newsletter and they have you know women and and some of the key women who helped found the group were part of this rich lesbian network in grand rapids and and and, 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 and so i've learned about this group called Aradia, that was this amazing group um, in Grand Rapids, of art and communities, and and you know, fostering lifelong friendships and relationships, um, and and much more visible than um, than I would have thought, and and even there, you know, it's finding names through that, finding you know, doing additional research, and then finding okay, who are, who was involved in this organization. Um, and, as an example, so this is another recent one that I found there was um, there was this artist named um, Jerry van Sayak, um who was one of the founders of Arabia. Um and I found she she there's other websites she she made some early lesbian films um so there's some websites that talk about her a little bit. She was, she was an artist. She had her work shown, you know, around the country. Um, there's hmm. a, an obituary of her. She died in West Virginia. I don't know how she ended up in West Virginia. Um, and then, just last week, so this is after I've posted about her, um, and this is part of like. The, the process. Um, she was included in an oral history project in Grand Rapids that was done in maybe 2011, 2012, and that. So there's some video of her talking about being fired um, at, at some college in Grand Rapids. I'm, I'm still trying to figure piece. Together, which college it was, um, but also kind of talking about her house being kind of this hub of um, of lesbian life in Grand Rapids. Um, it was wow. this old Victorian. I found there's an article about her in one of the one of the 1970s lesbian publications. Um, she. She built a windmill in her yard that the neighbors were outraged that that she was defacing the neighborhood. She painted her house pink. I love that. Oh. Um, uh-huh. And she said, um, you know, they they got their neighbors all upset because they were playing Nina Simone too loud.
4: Well, <laughs> Brown Rapids. Who knew? <laughs> who
2: kn- well, yeah, exactly. Who so that's and uh-huh. so you know, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not, I, maybe I'm not the one to follow through and tell the the richer story, but what I can do with my website is, you know, plant seeds. And so this is a person, and th- these are stories that maybe someone else can follow up on um, and, and pursue. Um, so I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm conscious that, you know, each of the individuals, I'm, I'm just kind of giving a, a thumbnail encapsulation, um, and maybe, you know, maybe someone else can can run with that. Um, so, but I would have never found out about Jerry Van Sayak if I had, hadn't done this kind of very concerted okay, women are missing, how do I find women? Um, and I want to follow up. That with with one other piece that has been like this is why this way I'm still able to do the website I think after three and a half years is because I found this other avenue for finding these stories um, and it just kind of this is this is kind of a road of discovery for me that has been just amazing um, so it it's It's intent and it started as a history website and is still very much I want it to be a history website, but um i I've come to rely more than I expected on more recent obituaries and more obituaries in mainstream papers um and the way I found them is because you know now that we have online obituaries. Um, you can do searches with keywords so I have gone Mm -hmm. through and so I'll you know once a month now I will go through and search all Michigan obituaries I'll go to the free press site go under obituaries and under keyword I'll type the word partner Mm -hmm. or I'll type the word now I'll type the word in quotes her wife or his husband
4: Oh, okay.
2: Because people are now legally married um, mm-hmm. and passing away. Um, but that has led me to discover so many, you know, as we, as we were talking earlier, so many of the quieter lives that, you know, are just kind of among us, that, that even people in the community might not be fully aware of and kind of the example of that that I want to share that that I found recently is um there were um two women that I discovered um Nancy Kasperzak and Susan Reader Brewer, and they both um they were both in their 80s I believe when they died um, this was just recently, so I want to see if I can find them to to talk about them. Um, they mm-hmm. both um, had been married heterosexually, and they both raised families um, separately. And then they both, you know, they were both widowed or divorced. I'm not sure, you know, I have to... You know, when, when, when I have, you know, 600 plus people that I've, I've dug into, um, then I, I, I don't remember all the details. So, yeah, so this is um, Susan Reader Brewer was born March 19, uh, 1929, and she died this past February. Um, she was living in Benzonia, which is up by um, Trevor City and she um graduated from birmingham high school she studied at northwestern university was married and raised three children she went on to earn her bc in psychology before divorcing in the late 1970s and then um and then nancy kasperzak um was a lifelong musician um, grew up in metro detroit graduated from birmingham high school after divorcing Um, and with her children grown, um, she, um, she went to her 40th, they both went to their 40th high school reunion for Birmingham high school and reunited and became a couple. And it's just, and, Mm -hmm. and they settled on Crystal Lake up in Benzie County. Um, and you know, there were these two older lesbians living together, you know, they'd had kind of this earlier life of being heterosexual they it 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 sounds like they might have had an eye for each other even in high school but uh-huh. the times being what they were in the 1950s you know that wasn't a route that they could take but then that they did and did and they both died within a week of each other and that's just I mean, like it's
4: so, wow you know <laughs>
2: and 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 barbara barbara murray you know is one of one uh-huh. of the followers of the site and when when she posts when i posted this she just kind of she remembers one of the women you know had a plane and would land the plane you know up there and she remembers this woman and had no idea you know of this woman's you know quieter life and that she was part of the community um so i just I, and and the other aspect of it is i mean both of them both of them have obituaries that talk about their children their previous marriage to men and then their 40 plus years together mm-hmm. so and those kids are not you know how are how are you going to go back once they know once they understand what their mothers went through and that i i mean I haven't been in touch with their kids i don't I don't know this for sure, but I can only imagine you know that this is this is a change that you know we're just seeing pieces of now but 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 the ways in which people are out. Um, it's really impacting people's lives and, and people's attitudes.
4: And, you know, that also makes you think, you know, a part of the difference in how we live our lives, because I know when marriage became legal everywhere, I had met a couple of lesbians who had both been in heterosexual marriages, and they weren't getting married because it would impact the social security that they would get right. from their respective husbands. So you wonder. I mean, all of these things that you see makes you you understand the complexity of our lives. How there's some ways that <laughs> a man could live that a woman couldn't that would make it do that. But the fact that then later on in life they found each other and they acknowledged it in their obituaries, and that's what's so important because many people, you know, I've wondered. I think one of them said that many people thought they were at like, Boston
2: widows. Oh, Boston, Boston marriage, right? The Boston yes, marriage.
4: You know, and they said, you know, <laughs> they, they didn't come out and say, you know, most people probably knew, but they didn't say anything. And that, that was why, you know, they would have loved to get married, but there was this economic reality that they couldn't. And in doing this, it also sheds. I mean, there's so many things about what you're doing that sheds life on our condition, how we live. And why should it be like that? And in some ways, some of that is still true. But all, like you said, that they were there and rich lives, they had raised families, you know, and then one flew a plane. How cool is that, you know? Right, I mean, right. I mean, how cool is that, yeah? And I think that... Well, and these is, are, you
2: know, I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's the, the class element that, that, that these, these women were, were well-off enough to kind of live the lives as they saw fit. Um, but even, even that, there's just kind of this boldness to, you know, their images and, and the picture that survived of them. Um, And and, and Barb remembered the um, Nancy's hat because the picture I used (laughs) of Nancy was was her hat. So Mm -hmm.
4: now I know when we talked before you said, you know, like there were some people who you would find, and you had a little connection in Florida where you were visiting people. Have you been able to keep up with those people? And, um, because now everything's shut down. But have you been able to keep up with those people who you have made contacts with who no maybe no longer lived in Michigan?
2: You know, so um one of the key people in, in Florida, um, who was one of the founders of the first organization in Michigan, so it was probably Jerry Moore that I talked about, um, he passed away this this um this year. Um, mm-hmm. At the age of ninety one or ninety two mm-hmm. I think he he had his ninety second birthday. I talked to him a week or two before he died because he was calling people to say goodbye oh. um, and so i'm i mean I was able to write an obituary for between the lines um mm-hmm. because he he was um, I mean, he helped found the first group in the state. He needs to be remembered. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I'm going to put him on the site at the end of the year as one of the people um, to include at the end of the year because um, I usually I've been trying to close out um, each year with with three people who pass that year. Um, and Brent uh, Dorian Carpenter will be someone that I'm going to
3: mm-hmm. include mm-hmm. in that
2: group too. Um, mm-hmm. So so yeah, I mean so I, I I had been I had maintained touch with him. Um it's it's and I, I just talked with um the partner of Carl Mitchell um a couple weeks ago. Um I was on the phone with John Kavanaugh um uh, several weeks ago and mm-hmm. and asking about things and found out that um that Robert knew a couple of the other people that I was interested in learning about and, and chasing down details about their lives. Um and and these are you know one of them is Leon De Mounier who was um chairman of Detroit Corps, the Congress of Racial Equality in the early nineteen fifties, uh nineteen sixties. Um, and had a rooming house that was primarily, you know, gay tenants um, back in the, the 50s um, and was involved in um, the second organization in Detroit, a group called One in Detroit. So Leon was was a key person I already knew. Um, and then in the course of recent research, and this is part of, you know, things I need, part of my reworking my dissertation is figuring out um, how to convey this and how this story. So, one of the connections that I learned about Leon um, is that his brother was killed in the 1943 Detroit race riot. Hmm. So he lost his brother, and so I, you know, I, I that was part of contacting John it's like John did you know about this and he says oh yeah Uh um uh but but I you know if I didn't know to ask that and if it was only just kind of you know doing other research that I happened upon and and you know as new things become available I, I I follow up on people but discovering that it's just kind of you know that is that's part of you know, Detroit African American history and part of Detroit LGBTQ history. It's part of that intersection. Um that that we need to understand that, that that there were people in the community who had just a different perspective on the police, a different level of trust, a different you know, their 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 race informed their sexuality. Their sexuality informed their race. You know, it wasn't just, you know, one or the other. Again, this is where being able to talk about individuals and the specifics of their story was just so enriching. No, so, so, so yeah. So the, the and and so talking with Robert about that, I, I got a few more details mm-hmm. and 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 collaboration because as a historian, you know, um, I. I I can't go, I, I, I need to be careful about going by just one person's word,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, that this happened because I, they must, they might misremember. I don't want to say that people purposely are, are, you know, telling me, you know, distorted stories, but they might misremember. They might not remember things quite the same way. We tend to remember things about ourselves much more than we do other people. Um, and and you know it it just kind of depends on on when we're remembering and, and so these are things that I that I weigh.
4: Now you know we do have a mobile society, and I know that you know a lot of people who used to live here don't. And sometimes I through social media I discover that somebody who used to live here and be a real big part of the community, they moved away. They've passed or Mm -hmm. i know i'll never forget like um a young guy robert clark who had lived here he'd been on the board of the black pride society in fact uh lgbt detroit was going to give him an award he didn't show up at their thing at their holiday thing and then in looking and trying to find out find out that he had been ill had moved to be with family to take care of him in another state and passed and they didn't you know if we hadn't reached out to them No one here would know. Are there people who you know have made an impact in the community that you sort of like in the back of your mind sort of like, I wonder how so-and-so is doing and you try to keep up with them or to find out particularly if they reach, they are starting to get, you know, in the final chapters, a final act of their lives, do you sort of like follow up on them to sort of like, hey, I wonder where so and so is, or if you hear that someone is going to another state or someplace to be, you know, because of their uh, illness or to be taken care of, how do you, you know, because there are people, like, you know, that you don't know. I hadn't seen Jeff Montgomery, or actually, I had seen Jeff Montgomery, like, but I hadn't seen him in years before I saw him, which was not long before he died. But we lose track of people. How do right. you. Are there people you have a list a short list of people like you know, if anything happens to them, we need to know about it. You
2: know, I, I, I think I kind of do. I mean, part of it. And, and, and so, you know, there's, there's ways in which, you know, the, there are people that I know on the website or that I've researched and people that I've interviewed, and I, I do kind of follow up and, and check on them. And then there's a lot of people that I, I just only know of. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the person that jumps to mind. And I, I, this is where, I mean, there's not a one size fits all. There's just kind of lots of different ways to like keep track. Um, and this is where, you know, it's the, the old journalists, you know, you need to like hit the sidewalk and, and, you know, you need to be proactive. Um, okay. and then that's a, you know, that's, I just that's part of what what I feel we need to do, and i, I guess when my students don't want to, don't want to put the work into being digging into the history it's like well be you're missing uh-huh. the point um so one of the people that came, comes to mind um that I know you interviewed um for collections was Mark Lovelace mhm uh-huh. and uh-huh. um and I forget how I learned about him. It's it might have been somebody posted on on Facebook, or I might have just been searching and stumbled Mm -hmm. on that he had passed. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I found out about about him fairly early on. And what I so did, did you know the extent to which he was active in Detroit before he moved to Chicago?
4: Yes, I did. I mean, I mean, it was like I had talked to Mark for so many years, and we would talk about Detroit. And you know, and then it was just like, and then I sort of like talked talked with him regularly in Chicago, but he always knew what was, and that was what's so cool. He always knew what was going on in Detroit. You know, he never lost that connection. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and actually, you know, one of the people I just posted um this past week was, you know, I've, I've taken, you know, I, I mentioned what I do for searching um, Michigan obituaries um, on a regular basis but I've now just kind of have been checking out for other states or other places where I know that people move to and doing the kind of like you know partner search and uh, and Michigan I'll do a keyword search for partner in Michigan and and you know there's lots of you know lots of heterosexual people use the word partner so it's just kind of Combing through and kind of identifying, okay, which which matches, and I um, I came across I was I thought Washington D.C. I should search the Washington Post mm-hmm. and see if there's anyone and came on an obituary for Jennifer Kohout um, who used to write for Between the Lines um, before she moved to Alaska. She got her law degree mm. at Michigan. Um, and I still I've been meaning to call Susan up to see if she knew that Jennifer had passed because like you said how would you necessarily know and that you know that that's that's kind of part of the origins of the website. Our friend Julie Enzer was visiting. This was her
3: uh-huh.
2: her year. She she was back in Saginaw on the Lamb, um, uh-huh. in the story in a story that she tells about her neighbors yeah. in. Marilyn dog. wanting to just dis- destroy <laughs> her dog, so she okay. was back in Saginaw, um, staying at her dad's old house where she had grown up, and helping prepare the house to to be sold. And so I, you know, I took a few trips to Saginaw. She came to visit me a few times, and on one of the visits, um, I had just pulled out, you know, because I've been I, I'm an archivist too, as a historian, I just gather you know, as much documentation that I can. And I have just, I have a room full of files um, that will someday be in file cabinets and then will someday be donated to an archive. Um, but, But some of the files I have are obituaries. And so she was just kind of going through this folder of obituaries. And all of a sudden she just let out this gasp and she said i didn't know george fatiga died
4: wow and
2: this and this was 2000 and you know she mm-hmm. she hasn't lived she hasn't lived in michigan sure. mm-hmm. um and so as part of that she was like you know you have these folders of these things these shouldn't be in just these folders do something with these
3: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. um and so that was part of the impetus for kind of coming up with this project, um, and as a doable project. It was something that I thought, okay, there's something I can continue to do and sustain. Um, And at this point, you know, I I think I I will certainly continue to do it through March, um, which will be four years, um, and probably in the neighborhood of, you know, 750 or 800 people maybe i can get to a thousand that would be another Mm -hmm. couple years of doing it but Mm -hmm. if i'm not able to continue to include enough women or enough people of color or enough parts of the state that i think is representative um i'm not sure you know i think that might be the time um, mm-hmm. to well, let's take a break, and I want to. I want to talk but, uh,
4: about. But
2: this the is the where website. I've been doing extra outreach. Mm-hmm. So. Uh huh.
4: Well, let's take a break, and then let's come back and talk up specifically about the website. So, sure. um If you're just joining me, we're talking with Tim Redsloth, and he does the Michigan LGBTQ Remember website, and we'll be right back. And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. I am still, like, shaking my head about that thing with Julie because, I mean, <laughs> since George died, I've seen Julie in D.C. I talked to her. I've interviewed her. You know, we I've written to her. She's written to me. And, you know, it's like, but that's something that you don't talk about, you know. I mean, you don't go, oh, you know, so-and-so died. You know, you you don't. And the website, particularly, I could see if you're a Michigander and one of those ones who have moved somewhere to know, you know, that's not the first place you want to look to see, you know, where is so-and-so. But if you can't and you are trying to find someone or to research them, it's great to have this website. And, And you're saying you're in your fourth year, right?
2: right right mm-hmm
4: so, what so made you decide, I know that okay first of all I know that it's not just about obituaries you have something about um how to do a archive what all is on the website
2: well so so the main website is this is this gallery um, where I started with with 50 initial posts and I've been adding three people a week Um Ever since but but like in June in October, I'll add four people and then I do special postings for world age day um, and, and on other occasions, I'll do special postings um, Like I'm I think I posted for Jeffrey That was the first year of the, the site But I I'd had a special posting of him on the anniversary the first anniversary of his death um, So so it, it's it's that's the main site, which is are these individuals, and then I um, as I was creating the site and planning it and, and figuring it out, um, that's just I mean it's 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 its own thing and it's very informational. Um, it's almost like a reference book in a way, um, and my friend Will, who um, kind of does web web advising and websites for a living, um, urged me to to include something with a more personal voice. Um, so there's also a link in, in kind of a companion blog to the website called Queer Remembering, um, in which I talk both about the process of creating the site. I tell more of my own personal story of becoming uh, a Queer historian, um, I go into you know a little more detail. I also talk about the, his, the process of history. I have a I have a an entry on ode to newsletters because mm-hmm. you know newsletters are kind of this untapped rich source that you know you and I have both had a hand in creating that don't you know that don't exist quite the same way. Um okay. and just how important they they are and were to documenting the community. Um and then there's kind of some personal reminiscences. Um Julie and I, you know, Beth Brandt had never had a formal obituary, the the Native American Indian um the the poet, lesbian poet Beth Brandt from okay. Metro Detroit. Um so we wrote an obituary for her um, that's, that was both in between the lines and then on the website, um, Queer Remembering. Um, so I've done some personal reflections. I have a uh, an entry where I talk about snapshots and kind of the importance of mm-hmm. snapshots to kind of capturing our lives and, and, and to, to use to tell stories. Um, and then some personal reminiscences of, you know, for my own life, as well, kind of, um, and and I, I had one on queer um, archives, places where people could think about placing stuff. Um, I have things, I have something about um, historical sites, places in Metro Detroit that I think, you know, we should remember and recognize. So, I mean, and so that's, that's a more narrative. Those are longer form um, mini essays where I'm just kind of, um, using on different topics and I did that regularly um, for um, I think I ended up doing 48 so I did two a month for a couple years and then it, it shifted to being much more occasional um, but even there so I mentioned the world age day um, so on world age day you know I'll post, I post 12 people who died of AIDS as kind of a, a reflection of, you know, bam, this just hit us. It was overwhelming and this is what it was. And the, the first year I did it, it was based on um, this story, this affidavit that, um, that this activist who's now in New York named John Nally had written. He was involved in ACT UP. And they shut down Grand Central Station, and some of the organizers were like, "Well, we need to, we need to have something to send to the district attorney to explain why we engaged in this protest." And John Nally, this is 1991. He was a graduate of Michigan State, um, I think, in 1982 or 1983, and his affidavit that he wrote was about 12 of his friends from college who had already passed away from HIV and AIDS. So these were the personal impact. So I used that as the 12 people I posted. And then I met up with him in New York and we had a conversation where he told me kind of his more personal relationship with these people. So the the Queer Remembering blog post for that is um, based on that conversation. And then the next year for w- World AIDS Day 2018, um, I asked um, Barbara Murray if she would share 12 individuals that sh- she remembered. Um, and so she gave me names that, you know, I did some research and found obituaries, some of which were in crews, some of which were you know, in like the Royal Oak Tribune. Um you know, so we we did some advance time and then we met for lunch and um and she shared, you know, just what each of these individuals meant to her. So that's you know, so it it's it's kind of you know, this this gallery, so it's kind of like, you know, going through and and you know, looking at different people Um, that you may have known or you may not have known or, but, but maybe you should have known or that younger people should not forget. Um, and then there's kind of this other component of, um, of this blog. One thing I did, I, I kind of thought that there would be more commenting and interaction when I launched the site Mm -hmm. and there's some comments. Um, but, but, People tend to comment on Facebook, and they don't comment yeah. on the website. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but but that's but I've but I've also had people, you know, approach me about you know, well, what about so and so? This person, you know, why don't you consider this person? And I I'm certainly welcome any suggestions that people have. You know, it's to me it is a uh, also it's a a piece of public history. It's a piece of grassroots history. Um, I'm kind of struck you know i can I can see you know how often people visit so i I kind of I know that you know it gets about a thousand views a month now mm-hmm. um and and there' have been you know thirteen thousand visitors over you know nearly four years um and also just kind of who people are looking up and that's even interesting too so um Madonna's dance instructor, Christopher Flynn, um, had a, had a school in, um, Rochester, I believe. Um, he lived in Detroit for a while, um, was a big part of the gay world and introduced Madonna to Menjo's. Hmm. So, so he's up there. Um, there was an obit in Cruise magazine back when he died in the early nineties, he died of AIDS. Madonna gave a speech, um, at some point um, in the last year, where she mentioned him, and all of a sudden, there's this, this spike in people who who viewed that that particular post. Um, and part of it is that that's kind of the only thing out there about him, which which is weird to me. But it's also I'm grateful that there's something, and and if it's if it's me that they visit, um, that's great. Lately you know our our rep here in Lansing is Alyssa Slotkin mm-hmm. and and she's told the story about her mother um her mother was lesbian and mm-hmm. was involved in the the Jewish gay network she was um, an early activist there and died of cancer and she she talks about her mother in that way um yeah. so i was- she between the lines had done an obituary for her. Mm -hmm. And so I, I posted her a couple years ago. And so that, you know, this year I'm, I'm just kind of noticing that there's lots of people who are visiting that and, and, and looking at that.
4: You know, I was just, it's funny that you mentioned it because I was just thinking about Judith and I'm wondering one of the things that I remember about Judith and, and it was like in her last days and, Judith said, you know, people were like, you know, how are you feeling? I mean, we knew. And Judith said, she had no unfinished business. And as you as you go through these, because I'm gonna tell you, when I heard that, I mean, when told when Ann talked about that, and and knowing Judith, (laughs) and the kind of person, that sort of made me think about life. In doing these as you you you've read about uh, you know you read these obituaries you see how people all live their life has there been a moment that has made you reflect on your life and what you wanted to accomplish I mean really I mean to me those that's the gold bar for me it's like I have no unfinished business and you know and often I think about that and as I've watched the commercials of Alyssa and she's shown Judith I think of mm-hmm. Judith saying that has there been someone who who in their life or in something that you read, that has made you sort of said, let me step back and think about my life. Yeah, I, I, I have
2: moments where I'm very reflective and look back and think, okay, um, I don't think I have unfinished business. <laughs> I mean, I, uh-huh. I, in some ways, in terms of like, but I still feel I have things I want to do. So there's kind of uh-huh. this, this tension. Um, some of the hardest things to um, to post about. So, so you know, Ruth Ellis is the matriarch and uh, uh-huh. such an important LGBTQ elder to the Detroit community. We have the Ruth Ellis Center to remember her. She lived to be 101. She may be the oldest person um, that I've had on the site, the youngest person was this young woman named Bella Bruin-Kuhl, who was an eighth grader in um, Kalamazoo who took her life at age 13 in 2013 after she posted a YouTube video about being lesbian. And so, you know, those are kind of the hardest stories to kind of share and and i I actually i I wrote a blog entry about you know called by their own hand and I have a a friend who is a, a therapist in Wisconsin um, and she kind of we talked through this um, in terms of you know wanting to write about this in, in, in a, a meaningful and sensitive way because um, I can't I can't help but think, you know, as I share those stories, that these were unfinished stories. I mean, just as as people who um, are murdered in, in anti-trans and anti-gay slayings, as people who died of AIDS, as, as people who are, you know, die in accidents, um, whether they're in their 20s or 30s or whether they... You know people die of cancer and AIDS you know, later in life too and and now covid nineteen and they should have had longer lives by different measures um so there's kind of this tension um so it's almost I mean, kind of to go back to your question you know i i it's like not necessarily that I think in terms of having unfinished business but but having purpose to how I spend my days. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and at some point, you know, I'm going to be done, and and the book's closed on on the consciousness that I know and the life that I know, um, and you know, I hope to have had a purposeful time here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I I I'm very conscious of erasure. I'm very conscious of you know ways in which our stories are destroyed, eliminated, glossed over, and so I, you know, that's that's a that's always been a motivator. There's also times where I feel, you know, am I prying? Am I am I being intrusive, or am I am I imposing, you know, a big umbrella on what I see as like the LGBTQ community or Or LGBTQ history that is in itself artificial I don't know I mean that will be up to other people to think but but it's at least a version that will compete to the the other version which is you know and I I I still remember hearing this guy testify at a committee of the Michigan House he was brought in by the Republicans to say just this gay people have never experienced um, oppression and harassment and discrimination. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we got to make sure that people can't get away with saying that without enough people saying, you know, no, actually. And it, to go back to your um, earlier comment about, well, I never knew any gay people. Well, yeah, you did. Uh-huh. <laughs>
4: hmm. You you chose not to but you know, yeah, yeah. hmm. You know, there's so many things that I think about not not only how people, you know, choose not to see us, but then how we have had to I can recall someone who, who for years, you know, they told people that they were cousins. And it's like, well, you know, don't you think your neighbors after a while sort of figured out that you weren't cousins, <laughs> but how we had to how we had to, you know, hide our lives. And I think that, you know, for young people to see it, I also thought that you, you did a rest in peace for LGBTQ bookstores. The fact that, you know, there's generations that are going to grow up not ever having, you know, only seen a shelf in Barnes and Noble or whoever, they think that that we used to have bookstores and that, you know, how important is that? I mean, so you're cry- through not only through the obituaries, through your posts, you're chronicling our history. A lot of it that you know, it's gone, but the homophobia, the erasure of our lives still goes on. And you know how they say, you can't learn in the present if you don't know your past.
2: And you know, who knows what's looming in terms of you know we we were living in this moment of of you know same sex marriage and we had this amazing supreme court decision in june that that recognized that that we should be protected under the civil rights act of 1964 in terms of employment you know so we had this moment where maybe things you know for many of us are better we're certainly achieving things that that i I didn't see coming um, but I also I'm, I'm aware that so I, so, so I, I do the the website and the blog on WordPress and so mm-hmm. I can you know this is how I know how many people um, have seen it and vis- visit which which sites but it also gives me kind of what countries they're visiting from mm-hmm. and i'm I've been struck recently by just the number of Um, hits from China Hmm. where you know the society is much more repressive than it is here when it comes to living LGBTQ lives so what what I don't know and can't know is you know is this (laughs) is this the Chinese government watching my site or or -hmm. are these individuals but I guess I I prefer to think well maybe there's some individuals who are discovering this and you know even even though it's so specific to Michigan I think there are ways in which this might speak you know to um, a wider audience you know globally that you know if, if people can can find ways of living their lives and being active and finding each other and forging community and resisting all of the horrors that we have had to face um that that maybe that might be inspiring to them I I don't know I mean I I I kind of hope that um so yeah I I think I, I wanted to just kind of mention that that you know it's surprising to me how many hits there are from from outside the U.S. and that is kind of one of the amazing things about kind of the time we live in and the, te- the technologies that we live in that we have at our disposal. Um, that we you know we don't have to go to a bookstore. That there are other places, but I am also aware that you know we're lo- we're still losing something when we lose the bookstores.
4: Well, I will tell you, you know that I learned from our friend Mark Lovelace, because each year he would do a conference and but he would make it a point to try to bring in people from other countries. And at Mm. one of those, there was someone from a country to where, you know, not only could you be killed for being gay, but for your your family for not exposing you could be imprisoned or killed. And he said Mm. that often using the internet, being able to go back and look at sites and and we're just going to like yours, that to recognize that you weren't alone, that there was another way to live, and also in some cases it helped them go back and fight the good fight, and in others it helped them recognize that I can go here and, and live. So I take hope in seeing that there are people from other countries, that maybe there's someone who can only express themselves from behind a computer screen, but can see that there are are people who have lived lives, and that there
2: is absolutely and and to kind of repeat something I said earlier, I mean this is part of thanks to Julie saying you know these shouldn't shouldn't just be in a file folder,
3: uh-huh. you know
2: in your home somewhere, you need to do something with these. Um, and just kind of thinking creatively about, you know, th- this is, you know, there's there's World AIDS Day, there's, there's the quilt, there's Transgender Day of Remembrance, ways in which we've remembered specific segments of the community or different experiences within the community. Um, so to just think of ways in which this might tell a different story and its own specific story, this own slice. And I, you know, it's, in some respects, kind of modest. I mean, part of the power now, it just kind of boggles my mind, is this accumulation. You know, once you've got, once over three years, three and a half years, you've accumulated this many stories, you know, it it, it takes on a power of its own, and it's it's kind of, an emotional power and an intellectual power that's that's different you know than in and and we, and we still need books we still need other ways of telling mm-hmm. stories but but this is just kind of you know a, a a new avenue for getting at you know these these stories in in new ways so um so i thank you so much for giving me the chance to talk about it because because um, I do. I do feel very grateful to be able to do it and for all the help that people have given me over the years Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I I I should say that Michigan State Special Collections the Michigan State University Library um, is archiving it so if there's a day when I'm when it when it disappears from the internet it will still be preserved um, at Michigan State
4: and so before you go what is the website for Michigan LGBTQ remember and how can people contact
2: you okay the so the the website is just you know those that full phrase that you just said Michigan LGBTq dot com you know L- Michigan LGBTQ remember all mushed together um, and mm-hmm. then there's a um, there's a link to contact me through the site um that people can use um and i'll get that message um that way so so thank you um again michelle
1: i want to thank my guest dr tim retzloff for helping us kick off lgbtq history month and for his many contributions to our community his work chronicling the lives of the LGBTQ plus community continues on his website, Michigan LGBTQ Remembers, where you can find remembrances of those we have lost and read his blog, Queer Remembering. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can support the podcast by becoming a sponsor of Collections by Michelle Brown on Patreon.com. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Block Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual, living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.